Welcome to a new episode of the Film at Lincoln Center podcast. This week on the podcast, we're featuring a conversation from the 60th New York Film Festival, moderated by Film Comment co-deputy editor Devika Garish. This talk brought together the directors behind two stunning works of autofiction in the NYFF 60 lineup. One Fine Morning by leading French filmmaker Mia Hansen-Love, and After Sun, the debut feature by Charlotte Wells, both center on father-daughter relationships drawn from the director's own lives, exploring tenderness and trauma, love and loss, with formal ingenuity and emotional force. Both films also feature powerhouse performances, Paul Mescal in After Sun and Leah Sado in One Fine Morning, that challenge and reinvigorate routine cinematic portrayals of femininity, masculinity, and intimacy. Hanson Love and Wells partook in an extended conversation about the process of making art out of one's life, giving filmic shape to the workings of memory and time, reimagining the contours of woman cinema, and more. NYFF Talks were presented by HBO. Charlotte Wells' After Sun is now playing daily in our theaters. For showtimes and tickets, go to filmlink.org slash aftersun. Well, thank you. Thank you both so much for agreeing to do this. Um, we're really excited. You know, I'm, I'm really excited. And I'm going to try not to tear up because uh, during this talk, because whenever I think of both of your films, I feel like I'm on the brink of tears because they're so moving. But I wanted to start by talking about sort of maybe uh, something that just came to me because the reason we decided to put your films together is because they speak to each other in a lot of ways. I think they have similarities, but in many ways, they're also like perfect opposites. And one uh, thought that came to me was the titles. Your title is One Fine Morning and your title is After Sun. And there's some, you know, some kind of conversation happening between those titles. And so I wanna start by asking you both about the titles and their relationships to the film. And Mia, maybe you want to start? Um, well, I'm, I'm not really sure about uh, the rational reasons for that title. It's more of a, a, a poetic idea, I guess. Maybe I don't know about you, but, um, but I think, um, well, there is an idea of uh, clarity and of clarity and, and of light in that title, I guess, that at uh, that was giving me the direction somehow. I, uh, it always, I always feel like the titles are helping me to find the direction when I start writing. And um, also, uh, to me, that title, One Fine Morning, sounds like the beginning of a story you want to tell, but almost like a, um, uh, a conte. Uh, a fairy a, a tale. Fa a fairy tale, like the stories you tell to, to, to kids. And that relates the film to childhood somehow. And I think it's part of... Uh, why I was why I picked this title. Did you did you oversee the translation into English? Um, well, in French it's un beau matin, and yeah. I, I think it's exactly it's like the same. But perfect. yeah. But I think in English it also sounds like the beginning of a fairy no, no, tale, no, no, or is absolutely. it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> Almost like once upon a time, there is that yeah. Yeah. element to it. Yeah. What about yours? I mean, I. I I don't know that I'm going to have a good answer to this. Um, it was always after sun. Um, I don't know. I find titles either very easy or impossibly hard. And it was just always after sun. And I've heard or read people um, speculate as to why or analyze its meaning in relation to the film. 
and I'm very interested in reading those. <laughs> and I don't disagree, I think, but it wasn't, there was no, there was no conscious decision. I mean, After Sun in the UK is a lotion, like an aloe vera. Okay, okay, let me start at the beginning. <laughs> After Sun is like a, yeah, what you put on your skin when you get burned, like British people do as soon as... It's, it's not it's the same in, in, in here? It doesn't mean that here? No. no. For me, it was obvious because it's the same word in French too, yeah. actually. Oh, yeah. So it's like a, like a sunscreen? It's, yeah, well, it's like a, you didn't put sunscreen on. Oh, okay. Yeah. And after, so now you put after, after, sun. after sun on. So it's after, yeah. Um, so that is what I had in mind when I chose the word I was thinking mm. about. Um, I was thinking about after sun, the, the product. Um, but I think it can be, I think it can be interpreted a lot of different ways, and I don't like to do that interpreting myself. But um, yeah, well, that's it's really interesting, and it brings up some questions about beginnings and endings that I want to get into. But before that, I want to ask a little bit about the personal nature of both stories and and this idea of autofiction. Um, and I found that the way both of you have talked about the autobiographical nature of these stories is very interesting. So, Charlotte, in the press notes, you described this film as emotionally autobiographical. It's fiction, but was inspired by some clear, you know, some um, emotional truths for you. And Mia, I think when I spoke to you at Cannes after one, uh, you know the screening of One Fine Morning, you said something that I found very striking. You said, "What you're always trying to do when making films is." representing life as it is, but also making films that help you to live. And you're trying to bring together both these ideas. And so I kind of want to ask you both to delve a little bit into how your own life experiences play into these films and also why that mode of filmmaking is maybe important to you. <laughs> Yeah, this phrase emotionally autobiographical has haunted me ever since I first used it. And I used it as a cop out to ever have to answer questions about autobiography. And yet, too here, bad. Here we are. Here we are. Yeah. I know I read, I read, I read the synopsis about this pairing and I was like, but my film is entirely fiction. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it um, the I'm trying to think about how to answer this in a way that is honest. <laughs> Flair, I can hear you laugh. Um, yeah, I mean, this film is very much based on me and my dad, you know? Um, that is the core relationship and the grief that I feel at his death is the core emotion expressed alongside um, portraying a very loving relationship. You know, and um, and looking back and wondering what what was and thinking about whether things were as they seemed, um, and what I saw as a child and what I learned as an adult. Um, but there were different parts of this process in which it was more fictional and less fictional, and in the end, it sits somewhere in between. I mean, I was never on this holiday. Mm. I was on a holiday shortly before my dad died. Um, and so 
it's constantly negotiating that line. And on some days, I'm willing to acknowledge <laughs> that line and, and the degrees to which it is very um, close in some ways. And, and other days, I have to keep it further at arm's length. Mm. And I think ultimately, you cast actors, you find locations, you bring in other collaborators. Um, and, it, and it always becomes something else. You know, something that you fear might be recognizable to a person is normally transformed, I think, in making it so that they don't necessarily see. And I have had family watch this film and the details that they pick up are all, more often than not totally coincidental. Like they, they identify like clothing or um, props that I, I hadn't chosen with, with that kind of intent in mind. And um, yeah, it's, it's uh, in terms of why I think it's, um, it's like coming from a place or this film did of quite sincere expression and finding a tool, cinema, <laughs> to... Uh, yeah, to try and articulate a feeling that I wasn't able to any other way. Um, can you talk about like how you make that leap from things that are true to your experience and then fiction? For example, you went on a holiday, but it wasn't in Turkey. So at what point does that decision to set this fictional holiday in Turkey come in? I did go on a holiday in Turkey. You did? You just said you didn't go on the, that same No, I didn't yeah. go on this holiday. Like, these mm. things didn't happen as they happen in the film. And in fact, some of the things that were specific to that holiday in Turkey mm. aren't in the final film. I went diving on that holiday in Turkey. You know, I played a pool tournament, which was in an earlier version of the film. Um, they're quite superficial details. Like, ultimately, what the film is about and the emotional um, progression of the film is very constructed for the film's sake, hmm. um, I think. Um, and, and I think the places where it is absolute fiction are, are the most fun for me to write. Um, when you're writing and you conceive of a scene and you look at it and you think, wow, I didn't, I didn't have that experience. I don't know anybody who did that have that experience. And yet the scene is now integral to, to the film. Like mm -hmm. I love finding the fiction within like the the world that begins from a place I know, and then you know that is the foundation, and then you you place the the fiction on on top mm. to some degree. I think that's how I would think about it. Um, yeah, I'd be curious to hear how you how you write in that sense and what yeah the the relationship to discovering um, scenes you know from your own imagination versus being anchored in any sense of reality? Well, actually, I think I could, I could almost give the exact same answer as you did. I mean, I, I, I feel like I've been, I've been used to that word of autobiography since I started making films because it's always the way I was, I was it's, it's the word that was used uh, to define uh, how I write, and it's it's in a way it's easier, you know. I was told from my very first film, "Oh, this is autobiographical," and I never actually said it. I but it was inspired by 
my first feature, for instance, was also a film about a father and daughter relationship, except it wasn't me or my father. It was actually inspired by my uncle's story. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but, but only the fact that I said it's inspired by somebody who I knew made me, um, because of that, I was, uh, since that I was identified as a, and, uh, and in this case of my last film, it's actually closer, much closer to a real autobiography. Uh, autobiography. But what I mean here is that actually um, it's never literally autobiography, just uh, like you said, it's maybe it's, well, the, the emotions are very close to mine. I mean, they come from my experience of life and, 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 and yes, my film was also inspired by my relationship to my father who I also lost uh, but but then there is a lot of other stuff that uh, come in in the process of writing and 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 and, and at some points I reached that moment where I don't even know uh, strangely it's like almost a, ver- a vertigo for me but where I'm not sure uh, anymore uh, I mean I, I know about my feelings but I about certain uh, things that I like memories, it can it can st- uh, start with memories, but at some point I get confused. Like, uh, for instance, when I did my second feature, feature, Father of My Children, which was inspired by the last days of, of a film producer who I had known. After the film was made, a, a couple of years later, I arrived at I reached that moment where I wasn't sure anymore what was the film, what I had actually been experiencing. And I f- and and um, and just as you uh, when you said you you had not made that trip with your father in Turkey uh, when I did um, Bergman Island for instance which in some ways could be also uh, called an autobiographical film well it's reinterpretation of my life then because I never made that trip with the father of my of my child Sufaro when I made that trip to Faro it was just me I was alone so it's a, it's there is a lot that here that was also invented a lot that comes from my imagination so it's to it's the imagination and the experience meeting and that and the fiction comes of that you know meeting of of both what do the fictional aspects allow you to do I think it it allows me to give a, a certain rhythm to the chaos of life. I mean, I think the the life is uh, the the emotions and 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 the experience that we make. They are like in a, it's like a big thing that it's difficult to really. Uh, for me, it's difficult to find the right distance. It's difficult to find a meaning to that, and and just by. Um, um, and telling, making it into a story w- without, I try not to betray anything about what it's really about. I mean, but, but I try to give it a frame to, to look at it means finding a distance or something. And that's, it doesn't mean betraying the truth. It just means trying to find the, like, l'essence, l'essence de the essence of yes. the experience. Yeah. I just, I, I, I feel it's actually a, a quest for truth, but I, I'm, I'm trying to reach it. But in order to reach it, I need, as you said, the tools of cinema. I need uh, to transform it into another language that, that gives a certain rhythm to it. And that helps me. Actually, I feel like I understand much more about my relationship to my father after making that film that I did before. I think there's also, like, I think about moments that begin with memories. And I think there's, like, a risk when you 
take a memory and you transform it into a scene in a film and then you shoot it, that you overwrite the memory to some degree. Like you suddenly set this thing that is very amorphous anyway and you make it real again and you put it in a setting and you cast a person and you try to recreate it and you spend months and months and months preparing to do that and then shooting it and then editing it and it starts to really muddy what the source was Mm. and I've learned that before and tried to be a bit smarter about that this time because I don't want to overwrite (laughs) you know memories that I have um and before I shot I I wrote like a few diary entries of things I worried that might happen it was like I want a record of like what do I actually remember of this experience Mm -hmm. before it becomes a scene in a film it enters like another kind of record and then yeah yeah it's like with photographs when you're younger like there are photographs I feel like I remember the moment but I think I just remember seeing the photograph Mm -hmm. you know repeatedly throughout childhood like I don't think I remember that picture of me in this like rainbow ring by a pool when I was three but I have seen the photos so often I have the impression of remembering that moment Mm -hmm. Um, what you both just talked about in terms of I mean I love Charlotte the idea you brought up of the fear of overwriting the memory I'm curious how that plays into the casting process with these films After Sun and One Fine Morning in particular you are casting people who reflect you know yourself and your fathers to some extent um so how much of what you know of yourself and your fathers were you trying to retain? You know, in, in your case, Mia, you have Pascal Gregory uh, playing the father character, Charlotte, you have Paul Mescal. Um, so how much are you trying to bring something you know to the screen? Uh, and how much are you even maybe pushing against that in order not to have this direct conflation of memory and, and the film? Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I failed miserably at this because my intention is to cast as far away. So your from dad was exactly like Paul Mescal. Paul Mescal is my father. <laughs> um, I, uh, I, yeah, my, my intention is always to cast away. Um, I think it helps create distance. I think it helps create fiction out of something that began otherwise. Um, as it happens in this case, I cast a kid who looks very much like I did at that age as people like to point out, including my mother, who mistook her for me now, <laughs> which is confusing because she's 12. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'm not sure that the same as, like, I think the same is somewhat true of Paul. I think I ended up casting, casting very close, and, and because I used photographs as references, like, costumes ended up being very close. Like, I had sent mm-hmm. my costume designer... Um, just some like family photos just for style and and things I had in mind. And he came to set with a replica of one of the t-shirts and I was like, okay, (laughs) that's very, that's very close. I'm not sure I can have him wear that t-shirt. Um, he does though. Uh, I left, I left the choice up to fall. Um, yeah, it's, uh, I, I think ideally I cast away, but, 
I'm sure it's not accidental that in the end I cast, I cast uh, very close. Mm. Uh, well, actually, to be honest, uh, Pascal Grégory looks very much like my father. <laughs> Pascal Gregory is your father. <laughs> no, no, he's not. Uh, <laughs> but he, I mean, I guess it's different to me, the relationship I have with an actor or with an actress who, who could be me or, or, or for the audience, like, like an alter ego and the actor who is inspired by my father. What I mean is that as for Lea Seydoux, I didn't cast her at all because she looked like me, she doesn't. And I never tried, I don't think I ever tried to have her look more like me. Mm -hmm. Maybe she would say that she in some ways was inspired by me because of course she knew how close her character was to me and she was probably influenced by just watching me. And that's, that happens a lot in films, I think when, when, um, uh, um, actors uh, play in a film where they know they are very like very much like the alter ego they get inspiration from just like watching the so maybe she did that but I, I never intended to have her look like me because what I was interested in like how she would uh, bring the character to somewhere else and in, in that way emancipates me from this experience uh, but it's different with my father, maybe because he's, he's gone and I miss him. So it's, I have a completely dif different relationship to the way I, f I film Pascal. Mm. And actually, it's not the reason why I ask him to play in the film is not because he looks like my father. Uh, it's just because he's such a, a great actor and I wanted to work with him for a long time, but he does look like my father. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I, it was just impossible to not, not think of it and, and also... Um, it's, uh, it deals with disease here and it's a very uh, particular, I mean, very uh, special uh, uh, sickness. And uh, I, I had, it's not that I wanted him to be exactly like my father was when he was sick, but just I wanted it to be authentic. I wanted it to be true. And so um, where I tried to influence him is to reach that music that I knew that, you know, about... Uh, how my father would speak and how he would behave and how his body would move. And that's not because I, I uh, well, maybe it was partly because I kind of uh, wanted to get my father back, but I think it's also because I wanted it to be uh, as, as, uh, as, as, as true as possible. Mm. Uh, that, that's it. Uh, Mia, I know that the choice of Pascal Gregory, there's also a cinematic reason for that uh you're a big fan of eric romare and pascal gregory is you know someone is a fixture in many of those films and so that um i'm i love how in many of your films this happens where maybe we're encountering your memories but maybe we're also encountering your memories of cinema well, although I never i never wanted to make films that are full of references films that people would need to know, like, I, I don't think that, um, I never try to imitate, for instance, the directors who I admire or put references so that people would know that I kind of admire these uh, directors. But it's just that in the case of Pascal Grégory, yes, he's been in some films of Romer that I love. And yes, Romer is one of my favorite directors. But above that, I think he, he kind of incarnates, um, 
il, il, sorry, I have to say that in French, maybe. Euh, il, 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 dans dans l'imaginaire, euh, en tout cas cinéphile, il, il représente la parole. Et c'est quelque chose qui m'intéressait parce que c'est un personnage qui perd la parole. Mais en même temps, et je pense que même pour des gens qui connaissent pas forcément ce cinéma-là, on sent que c'est quelqu'un qui a été à l'aise avec la parole. In the cinephile imagination, he represents speech or words, and that's something that interested me because the character he plays in my film is someone who loses the ability to speak, to use words. And I think that that's something that we can feel whether or not we know these films that he's associated with. I mean, I was interested, I, I wanted people to feel who he had been before, and although I'm, I'm showing him at a moment where he cannot speak properly anymore, when he's losing his memory and his abilities of speaking in an articulate way, um, the fact that he's some kind of intellectual, even for people who may not have known the Romer's film, is something I think he brings with him as an actor. And so I was interested in people feeling that. It's like there is a world behind, you know? Yeah, and, and Charlotte, I'm I'm curious about this um, in in your process as well. I think what Mia is getting at is there's a way in which we can maybe respond to her characters in the same way that maybe she responded to her father, because she's tapping on our memories of cinema. You know, where the people we see on screen become our parents or our friends or people we know. And I'm curious, I know this is your first feature, but while making it, you're, you're drawing partly on your life, you're fictionalizing it. Did films that you'd loved, grown up loving, um, somehow, like, did they also become memories that found their way into your film? Um, that's interesting. Um, I mean, there are certainly, like, I think I have a different relationship to, um, yeah, to how films I watch find their way into my own work, um, whereas I'm, like, a little bit less shameless about <laughs> taking things I love and employing them in, in some way, um, I don't, yeah, that's that's interesting. I, I guess I don't overthink that too much. I am very new to this and I do soak things up. And if I read a book and then sit down to write, there'll be a couple of sentences where the author's voice is on the page and I see it and sometimes it amuses me and I leave it. And, and other times I, I realize what I'm doing and I think the same goes visually. Um, and I'd been working on this film so long. Um, the references that accumulated in watching for it and watching to watch cinema did seep into the film. Um, and uh, like, like what? Are there a couple in particular? Yeah, let me just give myself away on <laughs> all the scenes. I mean, people like to point out somewhere, which I actually think is like a more superficial reference than. Um, Mm. than anything um, as a father-daughter story. He has a cast on his arm that's coincidental, I think. Um, the underwater sequence, though, mm. you know, from, from somewhere was a strong point of reference. The, um, uh, the kind of uh, dance sequences from Marvin Caller mm. were, were something that, that... Well, they were maybe just more of a straightforward visual reference. There's a scene in Alice in the Cities where they, they exercise together. Outside of a car, and um, that 
inspired the Tai Chi scene toward the end of the film. The 360 degree shot. I saw La, Cham La Chambre, the Chantal Ackerman short, and um, employed the same, <laughs> the same thought at the end of the film. Um, but I think that's also because I'm learning as, as I go and I'm learning as I watch and I'm seeing ca camera is just something I, I think about. I write in terms of camera. People keep telling me not to and I do anyway. Um, and so it's just a way of it all kind of bleeding, bleeding in. Um, but, but I don't, yeah, I, I quite like, I quite like taking references, not for other people to see, but just because they're, you know, they inspire me. Something I noticed in both your films was this um, attention given to objects. And me, I think this recurs in your work a lot where you, you really regard objects as something that, you know, that they can hold much more than what is material. You know, they bring forth ghosts. They, they you know, sometimes blend the past and present. Uh, in this film, there's, there's many examples, but your father's books are, you know, very prominent examples. Uh, and Charlotte, I, I kind of picked up on that in your film as well, especially the sequence with the rug, um, where it's, it's it's almost like that rug is getting to something that is never articulated in the film, but the pre, you know the scene where he is just in the presence of this rug seems to articulate some kind of longing. Um, and I was wondering if you could both speak about that the the space the place of objects in your cinema. Well, yeah, uh, I think it's since I made uh, my second feature, Father of My Children. Again, um, I started to film to be interested in how to film objects in that film because of once the producer who was the lead, uh, so uh, who was disappearing in the film, once he was gone, there was this question going on about what actually remains of him and um, um, what remains of his uh, soul and does the films that he has produced, does they say something about who he was, his presence, his kind of, is there a heritage here that we can feel? Um, and how it goes, uh, comment ça transite par les objets? How it transits or passes through objects? So it's not so much about the values of the objects themselves, but it's more about them as like a way of getting into the invisible or something like that. That's almost kind of mystical for me. But I I I I, I discovered the um, cinematographic power of objects uh, while I was doing that film, and since that, yes, I've always been interested in that, and it's even more true with that film, of course, where. Um, uh, as 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 uh, the father of of Sandra uh, in the film, he's uh, he's uh, not dead, but his 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 spirit is going away, and 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 she, uh, elle se raccroche à l'idée que les livres sont uh, qu'à travers ces livres, il est c'est son âme qui qui se qui s'exprime quoi. Elle se raccroche à ça. She hangs on to this idea that his soul is staying through his books she hangs on to that idea and and I, I i'm the same actually i actually use the books of my father in the film um i use the film in a way 
to get the books out of the boxes where they were in the uh, dans les dans les caves in the in the basement in the basement of some friends to get back the books of my father. Uh, and I really enjoy that actually, and I, I think it's part of why the cinema is meant for, in a way. Uh, it made sense to me that making that film helped me getting these books back. So yes, I really believe in this object, not 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 as something that have uh, of course an economic value of anything, but more more than an affective, plus même plus qu'une valeur affective. Vraiment, je, je, je les crois comme l'expression de quelque chose qui a à voir avec le, le spirituel et, et l'invisible. Even more than their emotional value, I believe in them as something that is an expression of the spiritual and the invisible. Yeah, I think, I think of objects in the same way as I think of... I've never actually thought explicitly about this before, but I'm thinking about it now. I think about objects in the same way I think about locations, um, in that these are things that endure beyond um, people, mm. can endure in a way that people do not, and can remain unchanged, not always, but can remain unchanged. Um, and I think, I, I, I think with this film specifically, um, there's a lot of interaction with that in relation to location, but it's the same thing you're speaking to. And there is the rug, and, and that is a... But in a way that feels like more of a tool somehow to story. Um, I don't remember the moment that I wrote the rug into the script. Um, and that, that's actually an example of something that like wasn't incredibly like specific to my dad. Like mm -hmm. I grew up in a house that had this Turkish um, rug that... I would pace up and down when on the phone and, and it kind of found its way into the story. But yeah, I, I think I think of objects in this film as locations and, and that they, yeah, they, they carry forward. The, we had the camera, like the camera is another one, the physical camera that they that they had on the holiday, which was brand new. And, and, and by the end, she's sitting there 20 years later and it's not, and it holds these same tapes that, they had in that time and that her father held and put into the cassette and um, which I think is similar to uh, yeah to what what Mia was saying they they preserve something they witness something they they hold all of this time around them somehow mm. kind of building off of that I'm I want to talk about your respective approaches to time um, so Mia, I think with your films and particularly One Fine Morning, what I love often is this relentless linearity, like time always moves forward. And that forward march is somehow very affirming. Um, and it kind of brings together the good and bad of life, collides them together on a single plane. So obviously in One Fine Morning, um, there's someone, this woman is experiencing a great loss, but she's also experiencing something very new and exciting, which is a new love. And these moments sort of braid together as they do in real life. This is how we experience time in real life. Things are not separated into chapters, plot arcs. Um, I'm wondering if you could talk about your approach to time and also how you work with your editor. You know, you've worked on all your films, I believe, with Marion Monnier. 
how you work with her to, to bring that approach to time, to visual life? Well, yeah, I think it's very defining for the films that I do that I can, I can never, um, I can never use, um, uh, how do you call that? Uh, uh, when you go back on time, a flashback, flashback is some, not, not, a, and it's, it's, uh, it's weird because as a, um, a spectator, as an audience, I don't have any problems. With, I mean, I can love f the use of flashbacks in films, but as, as for me as a writer, and that tells, I guess, about the way I, I, um, uh, je sacralise, sac sacralise, yeah, sacralise, make sacred, or... uh, uh, um, the passing of time. I, I'm so obsessed, I guess, with the passing of time that I don't know how to tell stories other, uh, uh, in other ways than just chronologically. Mm. I, I cannot start a story like with a, a scene that would be today and then go back on time. I, I just can't. It's not even like it. I think it's good or bad. It's just I have to follow the time like I, I like like it is. Not that I don't think that past can be within the present. It's there. It's haunt the present is haunted for me. But I cannot I cannot do this thing that you do in the editing that you choose to start in the present and go back in, in the past and then mm. again in the present. I, I just can't. And the other thing that I, I think is defining for um, my language in, in films is well you mentioned editing is the trying, the constant uh, trying of both of us, and yes, we've been editing the eight of my films together, to edit in a way um, that, and I think I, I see some of that in, in, in the way you edit your film too, in, in a way that you feel life has started before and continues after. You don't, you don't feel the beginning of the scene or the ending. I like, I would like the audience to feel like they've, it's like. Life is like a train that has started before and we just get on the train and then we go out, but the train has started before and it didn't start with the film, you know? And I think that desire of transmitting that feeling of light being in constant uh, progression and never stopping, I think that defines uh, the way we did. And Charlotte, I, uh, the funny thing is that what I described, the sensation I got from Mia's film of the sensation of how in life the good and the bad and all these various experiences collide together. I get that same sensation from your film, especially because it's a young girl who is um, encountering a lot of news in life because she's just on the cusp of adolescence while clearly she's anticipating a loss that, but you do that with a very different technique from Mia, which is your cutting back and forth. Uh, and that's how you capture that sense. Uh, so I want to ask you a little about, yeah, how how you approach time. And I know your editor Blair is in the audience. Hi, Blair. <laughs> so maybe you can you can talk about how you worked with him. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's interesting talking about flashbacks because I think like the very first draft of this script there's this rave sequence interspersed throughout. And that was my um, very determined attempt not to have a secondary discrete timeline. Like I wanted to create this impression of somebody looking back, somebody working through uh, memories of a specific point in time without ever seeing the present day. Mm -hmm. um, and without there ever being a kind of 
yeah, glance out a window and then a cut to the past. Um, but in the script, there always existed this scene, which I thought was insane, which was her with her partner about three quarters of the way through. And I, I tried to cut that scene so many times. I was like, that can't possibly work. And people were like, no, 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 I like, I like that scene. And, and it, it stayed in the film. And then as I progressed through the script, I added this scene at the end where she is there. And it kind of anchors a present day timeline a little bit more mm. um, firmly. I, yeah, I suppose I'm interested in weaving um, t timelines together. And like, I love the work of Terence Davis, and he talks about cutting um, not for time, but for emotion, mm -hmm. and how that can traverse periods of time. Um, and that is definitely something that interests me. Um, once we got to the edit, we. Um, found and Blair found kind of different strategies to deal with time that hadn't necessarily been in the script. Mm. And at first those were constructed to solve problems that we had. Mm. Um, problematic scenes, scenes in complete, um, slightly awkward angles or light or like whatever it was, like those scenes were problem solving. But once the first was constructed, which was the same sky sequence that uses her voice um, to bind together several different scenes, um, but we start and end with her, we discovered that it lent something to the film and it, and it changed the film's relationship to time. Um, and then that carried through uh, several other sequences in the film in a way that I think is actually quite significant in terms of how the film is perceived by people. Mm. Like I think those, and I think there's three, maybe four, that really do create a different impression of time moving in and out of itself, um, rather than, which I think in the script, there was a more straightforward progression within the timeline of the holiday of just moving from moment to moment and scene to scene. And it always bothered me a little bit because it was written kind of as memory, film as memory. And yet you had this timeline that was very linear. Mm. And um, it always felt a little bit at odds with itself. That's its not how memory works. It always felt a little bit at odds with itself. Um, but I also didn't want the cuts to be arbitrary for the sake of fracturing time. And so these sequences that Blair built um, addressed that in a way. And I think contributed a huge amount to the the film working in that sense. Mm -hmm. um, just have a couple more questions and then we'll move to the audience. But I did want to ask about, uh, you know, Mia, a lot of your films, I think, capture what it is like to love someone imperfectly or um, love someone that you don't fully know uh, or that you have lost before you can know them, but that love still persists. Uh, and, you know, I think this film is a great example of that. There is this distance between the father and the daughter, but also this very, the love kind of persists beyond that. Um, and Charlotte, I think it, in your film, it's very stark that this girl knows that her father is kind of in many ways a void to her. You know, there's a lot of parts of him that are opaque to her. And she's asked to, at a very young age, like love him in this 
complete way. Um, so I, I was wondering if you could talk about that and, and kind of bringing that to the screen. Um, uh, for me, yeah, that's, that's an interesting characterization of that. I think, I think for me, that aspect of the film was about Sophie as a child, not having that much awareness of Callum's individual experience, mm -hmm. um, in that he's protecting her from it. And in the sense that I think children perceive adults almost exclusively in the context of the roles they perform for them, mm -hmm. whether that's teacher or parent or anything else. And I think the love is fairly um, unconditional in, in that sense. And I, I think there are moments of conflict between them. I think there are moments of frustration of expectations that are not met or cannot be met. Um, but the warmth and love between them is what the film is, you know, and, and is something that ultimately transcends the grief that is later experienced. Um, it is something that within the context of the film, I think carries forward to the implied future experience of Sophie as a parent. Um, well, I, 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 I think, yes, love is very much in the heart of my, what my film is about, like in all my films, but love doesn't necessarily mean like happy love. That like, doesn't mean that everyone's happy. That's sorry. I mean, it's, uh, there is a, the, the, I guess the characters in, in, in my films have a lot of fragilities. They are vulnerable. They are, they are not perfect heroes at all ever. <laughs> and that, that, that means that there is a lot of pain in, involved too. But, but at the end, it's, I think, I think my films are always, um, inspired by love. I mean, I, I would, that's the reason why I would never make a film involving in the main, characters like characters that i would find horrible um I, no but it's, i've noticed that there's no assholes in your films <laughs> no they are not <laughs> i mean it's it's why but there there are in many films i mean and, and that's that's uh, i'm not saying it's bad but i think it really defines uh, some films and some others like i could never make a film uh, with nazis like as main characters for instance i i for me it's not uh, I think life is too short or something like that. Like, I don't want to lose my time, you know, filming people I hate. So really, no, but really, I mean, that really, that, that's really defining uh, for me. But what was special for me uh, with that film uh, regarding love is that I realized, and that I realized really late, like really while I was filming and not while I was writing at all, uh, that, um, well, there is a, I mean, uh, she loves her father and he loves her, but she's, he's not able to really love her actually because, because of his sickness, he's not aware uh, of his feelings to his daughter and he's only aware of being in love with the, uh, the woman he's with, the father in my film, and she suffers from that. So there is, there is love, but there is also a lot of distance because of that. But what to me, and that's the one thing that I realized really late in the process of making the film, maybe even editing it while I was editing it, the fact that, well, he's in love with an, a woman and he's obsessed with her. And when his daughter comes to visit him, he's like disappointed that it's not her. And she's in love. And at some point she becomes in love and, and, and uh, 
that new love becomes like um, very much in the center of our life. And actually, that's the one thing that uh, uh, les unis that 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 unites them that, that, that they have in common. Them. That the one thing that they have in common is how much space they both give to love in their life. So maybe it's not the love he has for his daughter because he he's not able uh, capable of that anymore. But still, the fact that he gives so much importance to love and and that he has this tenderness and this need about him to give love, that's actually something that they both have in common. And I. I actually find that idea very moving. It moved me when I realized that instead of make, bringing more distance to them, the fact that you know he was in love with that woman and only obsessed with her and not not even aware of his daughter when she would visit him. Well, actually, that's something that brings them closer together. That they give so much love, so much importance to love in each of their life. And that is such a feature of our relationships with our parents where resemblances feel like love like when we start mirroring them that feels like a gesture of love yeah, yeah. um i just have a final question uh me i'll start with you uh your films are often talked about as women's cinema you know they're characterized as as part of this uh grouping or category you know maybe because you're a woman filmmaker but also maybe people identify it as being about women's concerns and i'm curious about your relationship with this term and as sort of a i don't know a, a prompt i have this quote from marguerite dura that i think is really interesting she wrote in her book practicalities i write as it seems to me one has to write for nothing i don't even write for women i write about women in order to write about myself about myself alone through the ages and i just wanted to put that out there for both of you because your filmmaking is about yourself and i wonder if you know you but if you have any relationship to this idea of a feminine or women cinema beyond that <laughs> okay <laughs> well um i do believe that my films deal a lot with femininity and i'm i'm not ashamed to say that and i'm I don't have any problems with people look at my films this way as being not only made by a woman but be, being very feminine that's fine with me but I don't think that only women can make feminine films I mean I think femininity is something that can be shared uh by women and by men too I I think it's it, I I I don't think it's only uh a uh, matter of uh, genre it's a matter of sens sensibility to me mm. uh so i th i think it's one of the thing that maybe dif that my films deal with but it's just hopefully it's also just one of them um i i think none of us is defined only by our genre or whether it be masculinity femininity it's just one of the things that define us and and yes i actually agree with uh, marguerite durat uh, said actually i i uh, i think you just write whatever you have to write and and uh, i expect the same from the films that i see actually i i i want i'm happy when i see a film and i and i hear somebody's voice I'm happy if the the person who makes the film tells me about himself or about herself and the more the more he does the more personal he is the more I can connect with him or with her so I'm trying to do the same because 
because I think it's the only way we can really say uh, things that are kind of, uh, I mean, that that really matter. Yeah, I mean, I too agree with Marguerite Dora. And <laughs> I, uh, I think in that, that aspect of... I was, trying, I was trying to stir up some debate. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, uh, I mean, like, I, yeah, I, I'm... When you're, I mean, this is like an interesting question as it relates to kind of like also biography and writing from such like a specifically personal place where you are, there's like a kind of cipher for you in the film. And um, I was asked by a journalist, it's kind of tangential, but why Sophie is in a relationship with a woman? And I was like, uh, that's just like that. That is what I assume my characters will be <laughs> as a woman. That is like my experience. That's what interests me and I have something to say about. And I think that's also true making films as a woman, featuring women, and sometimes making films as a woman featuring men. Like I think um, the ways I'm interacting with that question are through writing both genders. I think that was true in my last short film mm. in a lot of ways in which the protagonist was male. Um, let's go to audience questions. Do we have a mic runner? Oh, yeah. There. Okay. All right. Raise your hands again. Sorry, I didn't see. Okay. Over here. Hello. Well, I mean, I think we have talked a lot about how it's sort of autobiographical, both of your films. So my question is, I think both feelings and memories are some of the most personal things we have. There are some of the very few things that only we have because they're inside of us. And it sounds a bit frightening putting that out there, at least from my point of view. So I, my question is, do you find it frightening or maybe not frightening, but like the reception, how people will interpret it being something so personal, even if it's not exactly as it happened? And if so, how do you deal with that? How do you deal with exposing such a personal and integral part of yourself? By sometimes pretending it's entirely fiction. <laughs> I, I, I think one thing I thought about in making this film is that like memories aren't just yours. Like if you have an experience with another person, that memory is shared. You both have different experiences of it, but it is a shared memory. And then if one of those people, if, if, one, if one half of that equation leaves your life through death or some other fashion, um, you're suddenly alone with, it, with half of the memory, um, which is, is just something I thought a lot about when, uh, when writing and what it mm. means and how lonely it can feel to be the only keeper of um, of something that happened, you know? And uh, I suppose there's something kind of nice about recording that and presenting it in a different way and sharing it. And um, it's still true. It doesn't change the fact of it. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, my, my film has... Um, brought a lot of people to share their own experiences with me and I think with each other and that's kind of fascinating too um, yeah 
Well, I I do find it terrifying uh, to tell stories that are so uh, personal and that are looked at as autobiographical. How, uh, um, but I what what gives me the I uh, I would I don't want to say the courage, but at least the determination or strength to still write them. Uh, is that I I don't know how to do anything else. <laughs> so I mean, it's like it's it's I, I I always feel like it's it's the thing that also helped me a lot making my film since I started is that I don't know to I don't know what else to do. You know, it's like uh, it's the only thing I I, I can find strength for. It's uh, I, it's it's a real necessity. It's an intimate necessity, and I. I have this obsession of how short life is and how quick time passes, and I want to keep tr the trace, la trace, the tr yeah, keep a trace, trace of the presences who matter to me, and I, I, I'm in this quest for meaning, and uh, so that helps me overcome the uh, in inhibition, uh, inhibition, yeah, some kind of shyness, and and uh, uh, even I, I would say sometimes a feeling of. Uh, a sh shame, like th that I feel naked, you know, I feel naked with my films and I don't like kids in some ways, but I, I just try to forget about it and focus on what I was trying to say because there is no other way for me to uh, make films. I'm very sorry, but as we know from their film, time moves on and it has moved <laughs> very fast. So we don't have any uh, more time for audience questions, but uh, there are screenings of their films today, tomorrow. You know, check out the schedule. You can hear them talk further at Q and A's. So thank you all for coming, and thank you, Dora.